podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Road End Podcast, where each week we will speak to a new guest, get to know them and talk all things Liverpool. Hi everyone, welcome to the Road End Podcast. I'm pleased to say today I'm joined by Mark Morahan. Mark is an actor and an on-stage performer, featuring in shows such as London's Burning, Brookside, Coronation Street and many more. Thanks for joining, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. It's nice to have you. Thanks for asking. Let's start with your acting then. So obviously, I, I mean, I remember going back here, London's Burn. I mean, mum used to love it. Early 90s, I think that was. And then Brookside, which is which is massive, especially in Liverpool. How did you get into acting then? School, really. In primary school. My old teacher, Harry Say, he, um, he cast me in Peter Pan with the green tights and I got the book. And then I was in all the school plays. And uh, so it was his fault, really. And he still comes and sees me when I do stuff at the Royal Courts or in Liverpool. He always comes along and, and, and sees me. So that's nice. And then my when I went to, I went to secondary school, I rundle comp in um, Sefton Park Road. I had a good drama teacher there, Peter Casey. And he obviously saw something in me and he put me in all the school plays again. Then the BBC came to our school with a, a Willie Russell play. It was two episodes of the BBC called Lies, but a programme called Scene. I made my mate called Steve McManaman, but not that one. <laughs> uh, we got the two leads in it. So I got paid all this money off the BBC as a 15-year-old, and I thought, this will do for me. So I decided then that's what I was going to do. And it started there, really. And then when I left school, I left school at 15, and I went to work on the market stalls for my auntie and, and uh, did proper proper jobs, you know. I did stuff at Unity Theatre from the age of about 16, 17. I was in all their Christmas shows and stuff. And we toured um, a Barry Keith play called Barbarians. So you couldn't get your equity card then. It was a closed shop. So I was just doing like fringe stuff, trying to get my equity card. It took me a few years. And then uh, I joined the ART, which was Ricky Tomlinson's agency. Did a bit of extra work and got a few parts. The first part was a, a coffin of spit on bread playing a copper. And it just went on from there, really. And then, yeah, the rest is history, <laughs> as they say. But A scouser playing a copper. I know, yeah. <laughs> Young and naive. But yeah, that was my first um, first talk, uh, speaking. Apart from when I was a kid, like that was my first adult speaking part. And then the parts just gradually came in over time. And then I got an agent in London, and um, I started the parts. Then started to be to get bigger and and better, I suppose. Um, and that's it. And that's that's how I started. What's been your favourite part so far? Obviously, you've had plenty. I did a, a World War Two film in in twenty fourteen called Allies. And I got to run around in um, driving American Jeeps, Willie's Jeeps, and um, and shooting machine guns and, and do all that stuff. And, you know, in your 50s, I thought I thought all that had passed me by, you know. So to get offered a role that, that required running around with guns and driving Jeeps and stuff, it was it was great. So it was a dream job, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So that's probably one of my most enjoyable jobs. Um, what else? I, it's too too many to mention, really, but that, that stands out. I love I love theatre as well, so I've done I've done some great great jobs. I mean, our day out at the Royal Court with with some amazing kids. That's a great memory. I really really enjoyed doing that. And you'll never walk alone. Obviously, it's probably the highlight of my theatrical career because of the crowds. You know, the the crowds that have come have just turned it into something beyond your wildest dreams. So to perform at the Echo Arena as it was there, to perform there was phenomenal. You know, it was a packed house and stuff. So you'll never walk alone. It's probably the other standout. I would say. I didn't realise you narrated Thomas and Friends. Yeah, I did that for about seven or eight years. Well, I've been doing, I stopped doing a series about two years ago. and um, But they kept me on doing all the YouTube content and, and toys and games and stuff like that. 
because sometimes they require the narrator's voice or the storyteller's voice. So I've kept my hand in and I do the podcast as well, which we only finished, uh, I think, last year. I recorded loads of them in, in lockdown. So I've kind of kept my hand in with them, but um, but I finished the series a, a few years ago. So, yeah, that was great fun as well, to follow in the footsteps of Ringo Starr and George Carlin in America and, you know, some and Ringo Starr. So some iconic people, big shoes to fill, but I kicked myself when I got that gig, but it was it was good fun while it lasted. How did it come about? Michael Angelis had done it for about 22 years. They just wanted to ring the changes a bit because they, they, they'd gone from 2D to CGI. They wanted to just revamp the whole thing. But when I got the audition, I mean, every Scouse actor I know was up for it. Like, we were all in London, and I'd bump into a couple like Mickey Stark and, and a few few others, Johnny McArdle, and we were all going, oh, I don't believe you're up for this, you know. <laughs> every Scouse bloody actor on the planet, so I was dead lucky to get it. But I just thought, nobody likes change. So I just did an impression of Ringo Starr and, and Michael Angelis, and I got the gig. When I started doing it, I kind of started doing one of my own voice, if you like. But yeah, I just did an impression of them when I when I got the gig. So So you're in the show, let's talk about six. It just grew bigger and bigger with obviously the success that we've had. This was its fourth outing, you know, but it's obviously because we had Brendan Rogers. When we did it with Kenny Dalglish was the manager, I think. Yeah, Kenny and, and Rafa were the two managers the times before. And then Brendan Rogers, we did it. And, and obviously with Jürgen as well, we've done it twice. It's taken on a few different phases as we've done it, you know. I went to the last show of it this year and to be honest with you, I'd never really looked into it because I'm always sceptical on how these shows are going to be, especially about Liverpool and you'll know yourself, being in it, you must have thought this goes to shit. Well, you think it's a difficult one to do, isn't it? How do you do a show about Liverpool's history? Because initially when it was when I first saw the script, there wasn't a lot of humour in it. There were some great songs in it and the history of the club was all there, but there was no, there was no humour and I thought, well, it won't work without humour because obviously you've got Hillsborough and Heysel, which we had to tell, and we had to tell it in the right way. But when you've got all those dark things in a the show, it, there needs to be lots of light and shade. So we put, that's when we added all the, the skit on Dalglish and Beardsley and, and the Scousers, and we put all that stuff in. And it really does lighten the load. And it, it's, it is literally, I know it's a cliche roller coaster ride, but the show is a, literally a roller coaster ride. And I think it takes you through every single emotion and, and the music helps. There's some amazing songs in the show. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a real group input from everybody. The show at the beginning to how it ended up, the two different animals, you know, virtually unrecognizable. And that was down to an amazing cast, brilliant directors, uh, Howard Gray, fantastic musical director. So without all those guys combining the talents, you know, the show wouldn't be wouldn't have been as successful as, as it as it is as it was. I'll be honest, you've just summed it up perfectly. The roller coaster because one minute I was laughing my head off, the next minute with the, obviously the Hillsborough Heisel, I was an absolute mess. And yeah. you look around the room and everyone's the same. It's it's a proper story. It's not just yeah. it's not just the show. It it goes from everything and. Well, the other thing as well, which we put in this time, obviously we lost Anne Williams, so we needed to have Anne at the end of the Hillsborough. And, you know, it was tugged at your heartstrings and, and it, went, it went down a storm because the crowd recognised it, you know, and just thought, you know, give it a, a, a massive tribute, which she wrote so richly deserved. So, you know, just little bits we added like that made a hell of a difference. This is the best we've ever done it this this year, I think. Is that coming out again? Is the, is the plan for oh, that next year? It won't be back in Liverpool for probably four years. I think that's the cycle they're looking at. But I know they're talking about, because there's loads of opportunities. This would go amazing in America, Australia, Norway. You know, we t- we were going to take it to the Far East and something happened over there. We- the ship, had o- the set had already been shipped out. 
and then there was a big mix-up with the the ticket sales or something in Kuala Lumpur. So it, it got scared. We'd all had all our jabs and everything, and it got shelved. So there's definitely scope to take it abroad. I think what they'd like to do is is go on the, the club's pre-season tour, say in America or wherever they go, and put it on in a venue alongside the the friendlies and the training sessions and whatever. But um, the club, since the owners have changed, the club did get involved at one point. I think the last time we did it, and we had, it was the official history of the club, and they endorsed it. But now FSG, it doesn't make enough money for them. They're dealing in millions. Ours show is probably dealing in thousands. So it wasn't a big enough event for them to to get behind, which is a shame. So I imagine the guys, the producers, are looking for sponsors to to get it abroad and get it to a wider audience. And I hope that that happens because I think it would go a storm. I, I really do think it would in Australia as well. It would it would go down a storm. So I think the scope's there. It's just all the pieces have got to fit together at the right time. If you take that abroad, I think it'll educate a lot of people because obviously we've gained a big massive following more than we ever have in the last five years due to Jurgen and obviously everything what's happened. But I think the background of the club it needs to be out there. People need to hear it. People need to understand it. Well, you know, because kids not, don't necessarily know. They know up to a certain time. They may remember as far back as Kenny being the manager, or but they don't necessarily know the full history of the club. So for kids, I mean, kids have loved it. We've had so such a great reaction from from like 12, 13 year old kids, you know, who didn't re- realize the, the success. I mean, most most Reds my age drum it into your kids. I mean, I've got four daughters, and they're all they're all Reds. I, I mean, I live in London now, but my two kids have got southern accents, but they're both Reds. They didn't have an option, you know, when they go to a school, um, they're all Chelsea or Arsenal or whatever, but there are a few Reds in the school. Like, yeah, it's taken on a whole new uh, dimension, the show. So long may it continue. Yeah, I wish you all a success with that in the future, mate. It's brilliant. The cast, like you said, the cast is superb. And I think he's all had your own unique little bit to it. Well, the thing was, when we were going to do it last time, it was, it was just before lockdown and I wasn't available. I was um, I was due to go on tour with uh, another show. And uh, I wasn't available, so they were going to get somebody else to do my part. So it just worked out, you know, because had the lockdown not happened, then I would, I'd have probably lost the part. So when it came up again, I was, because I feel like it's it's my baby as well, because I've contributed so much to it, as we all did. You know, it's it's a personal thing. I don't want anybody else taking my my part, because, you know, I created them. And yeah, it would, it would be weird for somebody else to step in. Because it's one of those jobs that, you know, you want to keep going back to and revisiting and, and adding new things to. But I was amazed we didn't have a four-hour long show because there was so much new stuff we had to put in. But we managed it and it, it went down a storm and it worked really well. That's it. I think the timing of it from the start to the end, I think it's just right. People's attention spans are not, especially in a the theatre, you, you don't want anything longer than two hours if you can help it. And if you can get if you can get each half under under an hour, then you, you've cracked it really. So to hold an audience's attention, that's why it goes so quick because there's so much going on. So many different sketches, different songs. The show drives, it drives like a steam train, you know, it, it really does bounce along. So it's come and gone before, you know, you say, well, what did I just see? You know, and it feels like that when you're in it. No sooner as you come out for the opening, you'll never walk alone and it's over. And I think that's that. What that's why it works so well. Just out of curiosity then, because obviously acting, it's something different every day, what you're going into. I imagine I'm not an actor. The stage is obviously you're doing that every night. Does it get boring? You'll never walk alone, never got boring at all. Every show you do, there are, always, there are always scenes that you really look forward to and some you don't, some you think, oh God, I hate this scene. But then you'll never walk alone. You knew what was coming and it was a joy to be in every scene. And when you're wearing stuff, I'd sit in the wings and watch me mates on stage enjoying what they were doing. 
And, the, you know, I, I loved Jake doing Bob Paisley. And so I'd watch them and enjoy, in, like an audience member watching the show when I wasn't on stage. And I don't normally do that with a play. But with this, it's something something different. But I, like I've just finished a, a tour of uh, Tuttons Across the Mersey. We did a national tour, finished two weeks ago at Epstein in Liverpool. But sometimes during the tour, you'd be sitting in the wings waiting for your, waiting for your, your cue to come on. And I'd zone out. Because it's quite low-key. It's quite depressing. And there's some comedy in it, but, you know, it's a sad story. It's a true story. So you're sitting in the wings, and sometimes I'd zone out and nearly miss me cue. Like, oh, shit, I'm on. I better get a move on. But you couldn't do that with you. You'll never walk along because it was, it was so pacey and so vibrant and, and loud and, and all the rest of it. Well, you, you all look like you'd enjoyed it. And I think that's the main thing yeah. from the crowd as well. Well, definitely. And and you obviously get you get energy from, a, from an audience. And... and it's so unique. They're all caught unique anyway. It's not like it, any other theatre, you know, because you've got the tables and people can have a drink and a meal. And so it's more like a Parisian nightclub. I often refer it to, but I compare it to. So it's it's very unique. And the audiences that go there, it's all about the Scouse humour. So on top of that, you've got a gang of Liverpool fans. So the mix, the, the mixture of, of the two is a, is a formidable um, audience, really, to, to play to. While we're just on the subject of Liverpool... What's your earliest memories of being a Liverpool supporter? Well, obviously, Bill Shankly was manager when I started going. I always remember my dad taking me in the Annie Road end. I think I was about four. I think my first game was against, it was either Leeds or West Brom, or one of my first games. I remember Gary Sprake being in goal, and I remember him kicking the goalposts, getting the mud off his studs on the goalposts. He always used to do it, and um, I remember shouting at him, giving him sticks, saying, don't be kicking our goalposts, little four-year-old kids, you know. <laughs> so that. That's my earliest memory. I mean, Dad used to take me to all the reserve games as well. And then we progressed to the cop. And, I, you know, that was a scary, scary time for a, a seven, eight-year-old lad. My dad always used to uh, put me at the front of the barrier and he'd be behind and, and have his arms around me, you know, or on his shoulders and whatever. So so my earliest memory is, is probably from the age of four. I think West Brom was a 1-1 draw and the Leeds game, I think, I think we won 2-1. So they're the two... Standout games. I also went to. Um, I was in the the boys' pen for Saint Etienne in '77. Um, I climbed over into the cotton and lost my trainee. My trainee came off, and luckily <laughs> threw it over and I got it. Like, but they were good sports. It was like chicken way, especially at the back at the top. You could climb over, and loads of kids used to do. It. I think I paid ten bob to get in the boys' pen on that night, or forty eight p, something like that. And now look at the prices. I know it's a joke. <laughs> When you when you consider, but you know it was a, it was rough in that boys' pen, but I got to see some amazing games and Saint Etienne. It's I've seen some great uh, atmospheres at Liverpool, but at Anfield and beyond. But that Saint Etienne game, you could cut the atmosphere with a with a knife. You know the colours, their fans were were amazing. Saint Etienne at the time they had these shiny shirts and they were really exotic because in the in the first division nobody had shirts like that, but the French had these shiny shirts and they all had these lime green wigs on and it was just they were just like aliens it was amazing and for a kid you know it, it really stuck with me that that memory but um, yeah that's the best atmosphere I've ever w- witnessed at Anfield so for the cop you say it was scary before for any for any younger people that are listening what was it like being in the cop when it used to sway from side to side when a, if a goal went in or, or a near miss or a good save you literally got picked up off your feet and you you ended up like 10 or 15 metres away from where you started. You know, you could you could be in one place and you just literally get, get lifted up and, and carried along. It was quite scary at, at times because you used to get squashed as well. That's why my dad always had me in front of the barrier. But I can remember being a bit older, 15, 16-year-old, getting squashed up against the barrier. You know, you could feel it on your, 
on your torso and uh, your rib cage. So yeah, but it was all, it was great. You know, it was all, all part of the magic. And I don't remember anyone ever getting hurt, as far as I can remember. But you know, they were magical days. And Sh- and Shanks, you know, he he started it all. He's he's still my you know number one hero. He started the ethos. And and for me, Jurgen Klopp is a latter day. Shanks for me. He's he's got a very similar ethos and outlook, I think. And he gets the city, he gets the club, he gets what we're about, and that's why the fans love him, you know. Aside from that, he's a bloody good coach. Yeah, bloody good coach, you're right. So what's yeah. your thoughts for the rest of the season? What do you think our aim should be for that? Well, top four is priority, isn't it? And, and a, a decent run. If we can get a run in the Champions League, the midfield's been the problem, and and we get we've been getting overrun in midfield at, at times, and and the problem is I think they're not getting any younger, and the intensity of the season before I think it's taken its toll on them in some way. We just don't have the same intensity, and I think the the, the lads at the back have been exposed at times. And for me, it's it's been it's been the midfield that's been the issue. But if you take the players individually, I mean, I love them all. Lavi Thiago's he's, he's just a genius, and he's so cool on the ball and. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to go and watch Thiago every day? I wish we had him in his prime. That's the only thing, he, you know, he's getting on a bit now. Hendo, another one, is getting on a bit. So I think we need, for me, I would like to see us sign a defensive and a, an attacking midfielder established and, and, you know, pull the stops out and spend money and get two really established midfielders. Don't ask me who, because, you know, you're going to have to pay ridiculous money, aren't you, for whoever. I want to see transfer rumours on Twitter and I just ignore it. I just scroll past just think, nah, go away, you know, it's just, yeah. what do we call them, in the nose, or, or KF, KFA, what do I call them, KF, no fuck alls I call them, <laughs> so who knows, and the other thing now with FSG, because I thought it was just a vicious rumour when, when I saw it all on Twitter, I thought people are just after click, clicks, you know, it looks like there's something in it and that they do want to sell, I know they keep saying they're not in any rush, my worry is who we're going to get, all the stick we've given Newcastle and Man City, I hope we don't go down the road of getting some Arabic state and all the sports watching because I'd struggle to, to go and watch the Reds, you know. I'd struggle to, to get up for the game and I just think the game's on, on its hind quarters as it is for me. I mean, and, and this World Cup, you know, it shouldn't have happened there. Although I am watching it because he doesn't like the World Cup, but it doesn't feel right. It's it's in the, the wrong time of year and all the, the bullshit with the, with the you can't wear rainbows and stuff like it's just think, you know, who would they to tell us we can't? So, yeah, it does leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, this World Cup. But I'm still watching it, so I suppose they've won, haven't they? But... That's the thing, isn't it? I think from our side, things are right to different than theirs and what they believe in and everything like that. But like you said, who are they to tell us not to wear it? Except it's their country and we have to uphold, you know, their, their laws and whatever. But the World Cup is a global event. So... The fact that it's a global event, they sh- they also should realise what it is. And even if you, you said, right, OK, well, you can't wear, I don't know, you can't make any political statements anywhere else but in near the, the football stadium. You can wear what you like in the football stadium. But then, OK, we'll, we'll do that. We'll abide by your rules. Uh, but as long as we can express ourselves in any any way we see fit in and around the, f- the football stadium, I don't see anything wrong with that. But who knows? It's I mean, FIFA's, FIFA's bent as an iron bob note in it, but... You know, Seth Blatter and Platini, they've all been taken backhanders, allegedly, for years. So, you know, it's only lately now with this government we've got and through uh, social media that we're realising we've all had the wool pull, pulled over our eyes for, for years and years. But they're not getting away with it so much now because we're all onto them. And long may that continue, you know. But uh, anyway, I digress. We were talking about Liverpool, weren't we? So Liverpool, I think, top four. And, and I'd love us to win another 
optimistic trophy. The FA Cup, I know that FA Cup win would be amazing. As just as long as we get Champions League football, I think that's the main priority. I'd love us to to get go all the way in the Champions League final, but I just don't think we've got the strength in depth this year to go all the way unless we pick somebody up in January. The momentum they were starting to gain, is it going to be like another pre-season where we slow starters and, you know, to, to pick that momentum up again? I think it's tough. I think it's going to be tough for everybody, but just depends what state the players come back. We asked our guests to choose their ultimate five-a-side team who they've seen live playing for Liverpool. Let's find out what they said. From a goalkeeper to the forward, you give me your five best players that you've seen in a Liverpool shirt. Five-a-side? Okay. Well, in goal, I'd put Ray Clements in goal. Ooh. I'd have Alan Hansen. That's tough. Phil Neal. Alan Kennedy. How many's that? Four. Oh, God, I've got, I've got no attackers, have I? <laughs> I've scrapped that. So I'd have, I'd have Ray Clements. I'd have Jockey at the back. I'd have Graham Sunis in the middle. And I'd have Rushy and Dalglish up front. Oof. <laughs> Do you know what? It's great, that. Because obviously you get a lot of people doing the modernised type of players, but... Yeah. To where the players that you've named, give me a little overview, a, a minute or two of Russian's Aglish. Well, I mean, Russia's record speaks for itself, doesn't it? What a goal scorer he was. And he wasn't just a poacher. I mean, he, he could, he, he had, he was a strong lad. He was, um, you couldn't get the ball off him, you know. And he, the gagging pressing, I mean, he, 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 he was the first one for me. He used to press or he was, you know, he wouldn't give the defense a second on the ball. His pressing game was f- phenomenal, and that's why he scored loads of goals as well. Because he he was on top of them, making making the defenders make mistakes. Kenneth Dalglish, again, you know you know when great players make make space for themselves and just they've got all the time in the world. They can look up and they can dink a ball, and they, you know Kenny was that, and he he used to stick his backside into into people and turn them, and he was he was a genius, Kenny. So yeah, they were great to watch. I mean, I was at Wembley when Kenny dinked. Uh, dinked the ball and jumped over and came and set against Bruges in the Champions League. And came, I was right in that corner where he, he came over to us when he scored that goal. So that's a great memory. What a player Kenny was. Uh, that's why he's the king, isn't he? But um, yeah, but the two of them. I mean, there's been so many though, Keegan and Soshak. They said we'd never replace Keegan and then up comes Dalglish. You know, Mo Salah, he's up there. Mo's amazing. What a player he is. Know. You know. Stevie G, I, I often compared Stevie G with with Sunus, and I think it's a close run thing. I probably, I think Stevie might may edge it, but but I think Sunus was he was he's tough as old boots, and to play in the era he played in, I mean, just look at the pitches. If you look at old footage, the pitches they played on, the skills levels they had playing on, you know, on, on their ploughed fields, it was just in the in the dead of winter. You know, they were tough lads, Tommy Smith. Those guys, they were tough, tough lads. And that's what I that's what I was brought up watching. And when I played myself, I was a left-back because I, I was left-footed. That's how I started at school and then switched to the middle and I was a centre-back. And, and that was my game, was just getting stuck in, you know. I'd have been, if I was playing now, I'd have been sent off every week because <laughs> you could tackle back in the day, you know. And, and like Sir Graham Sooners wouldn't last five minutes nowadays because of his game, physical game. And that's, that's where the game suffered for me. I used to love a tackle, you know, and, and he, you watch perfectly good tackles nowadays and, and they're, they're yellow cars and you think, I'd love to see what the stats are in terms of injuries from the 70s and 80s up to nowadays, whether there's there's more in, less injuries now because of those tackles. I don't know. But um, 
but they seem to go on forever, those lads. You know, and then they'd have a few pints after the game and, you know, <laughs> and they probably weren't as fit as the lads are today, but yeah, different era. Thanks for everything, mate, today. Thank you. It's been really good to get you on and get to know you, listen to your story and, you know, I wish you all the best with what you're doing as well. And yeah, I hope the, the podcast goes goes on and on and does well. Hopefully catch up soon and see you in Liverpool. Absolutely, pal. Take care. Cheers, Mark. All the best. Thanks to everyone for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to follow our social media, twitter.com slash the road end pod, and also our Instagram page, instagram.com forward slash the road end pod. <laughs>